I am Susan Nash. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I've been at the church for about three, three years now and was at Second Presbyterian for 22 years on staff and then began a time of church consulting and came here. So I just want you to know who you've got speaking to you. And I want to start with this. Doesn't it seem odd that on Palm Sunday we're talking about womanhood? I mean, it does, but let me connect it a little bit for you. If you haven't already, the, the man who walked into Jerusalem and was sitting on a donkey and the children put down their palm branches, he was the son of Mary. And it said of Mary, blessed be you throughout all time. He came and he took on our flesh. And all these songs we've sung about him, the hosannas we've given, is because he took on our flesh and he died for us. As women, we have a special time. And uh, this morning we're going to spend some time talking about womanhood. I am single all my life. I am sing- I want you to let that sink in because I want you to think about how womanhood is normally described. I don't have any children. I do not have a husband. In the day and age in which this Bible was written, I would be considered really pitiful, a nobody, uh, somebody who got passed over. Even in our own society, sometimes people look at me like that. Uh, And I can't tell you how many people have tried to fix me up. (laughs) How many of you are out there that have had that fixing done to you? Okay. As though uh, there was something lacking. But today, as we enter this time together and look at what God has to say... What is woman? Um, Psalm 8 says this, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why does God even think of us? And if God created us women, did he mean for that to be a bad thing? I don't think so. And we're going to look at some of that today. We're going to look at what does it mean to be a woman, and we're not going to define it in terms exclusively of being a mother and being a wife. Those are roles. Do you understand the difference between a role and a being? I am a woman. You are women. You are girls. You're growing up into womanhood. It means something. And it means something incredible to God. We're going to take a look at that. So let's go to him, first of all, in prayer this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have made us and that you have redeemed us. That you took on flesh because you had a mother who was willing to submit to your will even though it cost her dearly. And a sword pierced her heart throughout her adult life. Father, we thank you that we've come together this morning. We are mindful of the men as they go to Spaghetti Warehouse and the fact that they are talking about being created in the image of God, male, And we are talking about being created in the image of God, female. Lord, bless this time that we have. And may it be a blessing to this community and a source of unity for us as we look at each other as man and woman. Father, bless us, visit us, encounter each one of us today in the way that we need to be. For it's in Christ's name. Amen. I've given you a handout. There are several reasons for that. Um, 
I am the kind of thinker that keeps changing things. God keeps speaking to me. He woke me up at 4 o'clock this morning and said, Susan, I've got to change something. So um, I did it on a handout so that I didn't have to get it to Kate by Friday. Uh, so you've got the handout. Now you've got something to write on. No excuses. A uh, sermon is different from a teaching. And I have primarily been a teacher in my life. So I'm more used to, pre- uh, to teaching than I am preaching. Uh, but there's a difference. Teaching oftentimes speaks to your head. It gives you knowledge. It connects things that you may know, but you haven't put in that association. We're going to do some of that today, but a sermon gets straight to the heart. It pierces the heart, just like Mary's heart was pierced with a sword. That's what was told of her when she brought Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, that her heart would be pierced with a sword. And so... We want to pray for that piercing of our own hearts. He will do it to me too. I'm just a messenger. Um, I'm somebody who has said, Lord, I'll speak your word today. And so give me your word to speak. And I believe he has. So uh, as we enter this time, there are times that I'm going to want to really go down deep and I can't. And so maybe we'll have to have a separate workshop day. Because how much can be said about women? We're not simple, you know. (laughs) And um, so we can't say it all today. But God has something to say to each one of us, including me, even as I'm giving his word. If you look at scripture, you may have brought your Bibles or look at one beside you. But if you go to Genesis 2, it's written on your handout. It says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And we're going to look, first of all, at that word helper. In the Hebrew, it's azer. Can you say that with me? Azer. Uh, you might be tempted to pronounce it ezer. But say it again, azer. Okay, that is your practice because I'm sure you're going to want to tell uh, your significant people in your lives, whether they're men or women, what you've talked about today. The Lord made... An azer. Uh, let's talk about that. What do we usually think when we think helpmeet? He made a helpmeet, which is how it's translated in many uh, scriptures. What do you think about when you think of helpmeet? Servant. Servant. Wife. Wife. Secretary. Be honest. Do you get the idea of somebody washing the dishes, washing the clothes, tending the house? There was no house. There was a garden. And both were supposed to tend the garden. And so we put on scripture sometimes the lens of our own culture in order to understand something. And we're going to have to get away from that today. We're going to have to look. What did God mean when he said he made a helper suitable for him? That's why it's translated help me. But we're going to look at these words. Look at this word azer, strong warrior. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament. Two times it refers to the woman. In this verse we just read and in the verse that is down below it that we're going to read in just a minute. It's helper, azer, referring to the woman. Sixteen times it refers to God, Yahweh, as the helper of his people. And sometimes this is what you see in the Psalms. Uh, when it refers to God comes in to help, to rescue. He's the only hope left at that point for any type of help or rescue. A helper. He's the helper of Israel. Three times in the prophets, 
it refers to military aid. Is that washing dishes? Washing the windows, mopping the floor? No, it may include some things like that. But we're talking about a strong warrior. This is what is being referred to. A helper suitable for him. Um, Look at Genesis 2.20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable, that's Konegdo, helper, that's Azer, was found. Let's look at that again. The man gave names to all the livestock. What was man created out of? The earth, the ground, just like the animals, the livestock. Uh, And so he's giving names to the livestock, the birds, the fish, the beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper. There was not a strong warrior to stand beside him. Look at this word connecto, alongside or opposite to, a counterpart. He did not have the kind of counterpart he needed to engage the mission that God had given. And Eve was that counterpart. Uh, This word opposite to means in some cases opposing. And if you look what has happened to what God made, uh, we talk about the battle of the what? Sexes, the battle of the sexes. It is, it is alive and well, isn't it? It is, and it takes all kinds of forms and shapes. Even in God's church, we find it. The battle of the sexes. That opposition was not to be an enemy to. It was to together oppose an enemy. You think, well, who was that enemy? This is the Garden of Eden. This is paradise. Was there an enemy there? Why would God make warriors from the beginning? A strong helper, a warrior, a strong warrior. There was an enemy lurking in the garden. Think about that. From the beginning, from the get-go, there was an enemy in that garden. And Adam was given Eve to be a strong warrior with him, alongside of him, opposing that enemy with him, a counterpart given to him. We're going to watch a piece of a movie. It's about four minutes of a movie. Um, How many of you have seen Prince Caspian out of the Narnia series? Some of you have, some of you haven't, so let me set it up just a little bit. Um, There is a land called Narnia. It symbolizes uh, God's kingdom. It symbolizes what will become heaven when the white witch is put down. So there's evil there too. And then there is a lion, Aslan is his name. And Aslan is a symbol of Christ. So he is the Christ figure in this movie. There are four British kids, so we're going through all of this kind of cultural difference. we got four British kids here who um, somehow happened upon Narnia by tumbling through a wardrobe. And um, we see this. This is uh, the second movie, Prince Caspian. And uh, in it, we see that uh, the kings, these uh, four children who are brothers and sisters, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan, they come in the first movie and they become kings and queens because that is what God has made us. Remember what Richard has been preaching. You are a royal priesthood, a people belonging to whom? To whom? God. Do you belong to the man? Well, not ultimately. You belong to God. As a woman, you belong to God. He fashioned you in this way. He made you a helper, a strong warrior, suitable 
for battle. Because we're in a battle here. We're in a battle in Memphis. We're in a battle in this world. Sometimes you're in a battle in your home. And we are made for that. We're strong warriors. In this movie, we're going to pick it up when there is a battle waging. And we're right in the middle of it. Uh, The Narnians are fighting against the Telemarines. And the Telemarines are human. The Narnians are animals. They are um, centaurs. You'll notice them because they're going to look different. Okay? But they are um, led by these four King, the two kings and the two queens. And Lucy is uh, the age of one of you girls over there. So there is no woman who's excluded from this. These little girls are young, strong warriors. You know that if you have one. Um, sometimes they're your, your worst, worst enemy, Right? They uh, can stand up to you, and the thing about women is they're very verbal. And they have a lot of words when they stand up to you. (laughs) So we've got Lucy and Susan in the war. You'll still see Susan shooting arrows. We have Peter, who is the oldest son, so he is the king of kings, so to speak. And then we have Edmund, who is fighting as well. Prince Caspian is a telemarine. But the telemarines are known for putting the Narnians down. But this is a good telemarine. You'll see him fight alongside Peter. But at this point, they are in desperate need of a helper. And they've sent Lucy, who's the youngest, out to go get Aslan. Aslan, to uh, date in the film, has not shown, except in Lucy's mind. And she thought she saw him. Lucy is connected to Aslan. Think about that just a minute. That connection to Aslan is everything. And we're going to see Lucy at this point. And I'm not going to tell you what's happening, but uh, I know we're recording this as well. So we're going to have to shut down the recording while the film takes place, I think. Do we know how to do that? We're going to find out because we're a strong warrior, okay? We're smart. (laughs) Okay, you're going to pick up in the middle of the battle between the Narnians and the Telemarines. Lucy has gone to fetch Aslan. Calm. What did she do? She pulled out a little knife. And look what happened. Why? It was because God was on her side. It's not her strength. It's not her courage. Do you see, we are broken people. Uh, We're going to look at Proverbs 31, and that has been held up as like the bomb.com for women. Okay, and we're going to look at it, and there's some good things that we're going to see from it. But uh, the bomb.com for women, it's not about us. I want you to get that. If you get nothing else, it is not about us. It's about Aslan. It's about Christ. It's about God. It's about Him. We are servants, just like Mary, who submit to His will in our lives. And our strength is in that quietness and in that trust that we have in Him. That's what you saw, that calm and that trust. And she took out what she had. What did Rosa Parks do? Rosa Parks was an azer. Do you see it? All she did was did what she had. She stood up and she refused. And look what happened. Uh, Look at the next 
page. God has given woman a lifetime calling. I want you to distinguish between calling and role. We in our lifetime fulfill any number of roles. Some of you may uh, be a wife. Some of you may be a mother. All of you are daughters. Some of you are aunts. I'm a very proud aunt and a proud great aunt. And um, some of you are uh, employees. Some of you are the head of the PTA. Some of you are the executive director of something. Some of you may work as a housekeeper. Uh, Some of you may work as teachers. You have any number of roles. Sometimes you're a caretaker for somebody who's sick. Um, Any number of roles, but we have a lifetime calling. We're azers. We're strong warriors meant to fight battle in this world until Jesus comes back for us in doing what he asked us to do. God has given woman a lifetime imprint. We are women. And I'm not speaking of all the exceptions. Of uh, There are all kinds of biological uh, abnormalities that cause uh, children to be born with both male sex organs and female sex organs. Okay, so why does that happen? We live in a fallen world. Okay, so it's, it's because of the fall. We live in a fallen world. I'm not talking about these exceptions right now, although they're there. Um, but she is man. The, the Bible says he created him. Speaking of Adam, God, he created him. Adam, which means mankind, male and female. So speaking of mankind, we're either male or female and discounting right now talking about those uh, very complex situations that are out there because we live in a fallen world. She is man-female. She is XX chromosome. We have 23 uh, pairs of chromosomes. And females in the sex category have XX and males have XY. We are female, not male. And so um, if Chris were dressed like this today over in the spaghetti warehouse, uh, he probably wouldn't have much credibility. (laughs) And if I dressed like Chris, I'd have more credibility because women dress like that these days Uh, I'd have more credibility with you but we are made male and female on purpose did you choose and uh, in some reading I've been doing for this as well as a doctoral course I'm um, in a doctoral course on effective ministry to women so I've had to read a lot of books about the differences between men and women and um, I think I'm more confused than ever from all my reading but I'm going to share with you some of it Um, but um, in those books uh, and in the coursework that I've had uh, it has been said that men and women as a whole are more alike than any group of women is like women or men are like men. We are taken out of man's side. Uh, it is, it is uh, said rib. We were made out of his rib. But in some of the reading I've been doing, 42 times that word for rib, translated rib, is used in the Old Testament. It's never translated rib. It's translated side. Uh, And when we think of what Adam first said to Eve, he said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That out of Adam's side came Eve. Amazing, isn't it? We are very connected, aren't we? We are mankind. We are man, male and female. So what is the difference? Well... 
There are some differences, aren't there? (laughs) And we're going to see and read from uh, a chapter in a book that Kathy Keller co-authored with her husband. But she herself wrote the chapter that we're going to read from. We're going to read some of those differences, but here are some of the ones that if you just look at the body itself, it tells you this. Women's brains have more gray matter. Now let's do not laugh about that, okay? Uh, which means thought processes. Uh, we are thought of as emotional thinkers, right? That we think with our emotions. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. But um, how many times do women come up with some very good ideas? And in my experience in the church, they're in a committee, but they won't say it. They sit on it because they've been taught, you know, you feel, you don't think. I'm, I'm speaking of a caricature. Richard Rees has never treated me like that. I don't know, Rachel, about you, but um, you'll have to speak <laughs> about that. He has never treated me like that, and the men I've worked with have given me credit for a brain. Um, but... In this way, the gray matter is that which thinks. The white matter is strength. Men are stronger. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, it does say that he is stronger than she is. She is the weaker vessel in terms of physical strength. Uh, He has more white matter. She has more gray matter. Women's corpus colossum. You'll have to look that up. Take it. Google it. Uh, go to a dictionary or something. But the corpus callosum connects the two spheres of the brain. And so women's, uh, women's brains work more in tandem. Uh, I went to Ruby Payne's workshop. Anybody there at the University of Memphis on Tuesday last? Um, I went to, you will recognize this, but at the workshop, A pastor who's done a lot of work with men, a lot of work with women, said he was describing a man's brain and a woman's brain. And he described them like this. He had a little sculpture sitting up on the stage representing a man's brain. He said, men have boxes in their brains. They're boxes. Boxes don't touch each other. Do not let those boxes touch each other. There's a box for your wife. There's a box for your children. There's a box for your work. There's a box for your hobby. And then he said, there's this big, old nothing box. <laughs> and that nothing box is what allows the man to sit with a remote control. <laughs> Just flipping through the channels. Now, this was a man talking about this, okay? I'm just repeating what he said. Uh, Or to fish and... Um, And that is the nothing box. If you ask them, what are you doing? You know? Nothing. What are you thinking? Nothing. They're actually... Is that in a man? And he said, never in a woman. A woman does not have those boxes. When a man speaks, and I think, although I've not had a husband, I can testify to this with uh, many of the men I've worked with, uh, that when we enter a topic, I can't mix topics. I can maybe have three things in the same topic. But if I get bordering on 510 because, you know, this is connected to this and this is connected to that and the motivation was there and that and that, it gets um, too much because the box is that. You want to talk about the Easter service next week. Okay. Let's talk about the Easter service. But don't confuse me with the Palm Sunday service. And don't say something that happened in the Christmas service that might inform us for this. But we're, we're on the Easter service. And so there's more focus uh, in one place. A woman's brain does not work that way and this uh, co- uh, corpus callosum is one of the reasons. There's more connection. 
And so as the man described the woman's brain, he said there's just electricity going all the time. Uh, and you think about a woman's ability to multitask. Where does that come from? And so uh, she's cooking something and the children are doing something and uh, the refrigerator light just came out and she's screwing that in and cooking and uh, minding the children over there and then somebody calls her on the telephone. You know that you can handle this. Um, I've watched a receptionist at work and what has to happen when you've got people approaching you. You've got five lines ringing and uh, also you're trying to get a report out that somebody's asked you to do. Um, Multitasking. It is possible because of the way that our brains are connected. So we connect emotions. Um, Ruby Payne said this the other day. This affected me. I, I had no idea. And she was talking about it in terms of guys at school and the frequency with which they get in trouble and guys in prison and the frequency and the uh, serious ratio towards uh, the men in prison, that men, when they get an emotional hit, it takes them five hours to process that. A woman, when she gets an emotional hit, it takes her two seconds. And she wants to cry and to talk. And the man wants to be alone and not talk. And for five hours have to come to what just happened. Um, now, those are differences in brain. And so there, there is a difference between a man and a woman. And I think in today's world, we try to either make it no difference or this huge difference. And I think sometimes the church has gone towards there's a huge difference here. <laughs> And that that's not right, but it's not right either to say there is absolutely no difference in a man and a woman. Um, but we're going to look at that in just a minute in what Kathy Keller has to say. In justice issues, men have a tendency to focus on the law and women on the person. That is one thing we've learned in the coursework. And I find it's true. If you think about it, uh, a man hears a story and he wants to... And you hear maybe the same story and you have some empathy and sympathy and you're thinking about what the eventual outcome is going to be of this on that person if we do X, Y, or Z. Uh, Many of the men that I've worked with have been ready to... Well, that's it. You know, it's over. Um, and the women think of an intermediate way of dealing with a problem. Now, I want to bring this up. This is another example of an Azer, a mighty warrior. This is a book, um, and this woman who is pictured on the book, her name is the author of the book, Lama Bowie. She uh, was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. She's from Liberia. She wrote this book, a memoir, Mighty Be Our Powers. Do you hear the Azer there? It's uh, the powers that she's been given by God. Um, But in a society where women were not thought highly of, But at a critical time in the history of a country in which Charles Taylor was the president. And Charles Taylor, if you have not heard his name before, he uh, just in May of last year was convicted to spend 50 years in prison for war crimes. And um, it is said of him that he did some of the most heinous and brutal acts ever done. Amazing. He co-opted uh, children the age of these into war and drugged them up and made them killing machines of their own people. 
Um, and this woman stood up against him with a group of women to the point that she got them assembled with a sit-in uh, to bring peace, that they were going to have to bring peace. She forced Charles Taylor to talk to her and notice the women because the women were losing their husbands, they were losing their children, their homes were being destroyed, the country was being destroyed, and the men were just going after it. And finally she said, no more. And she brought together a group of women in the capital, Monrovia, and they had a sit-in, they wore white t-shirts, and she said, we are going to refuse sex until these men do something. And they did. Mighty be their powers. <laughs> now, that may be an unusual tactic, and it's certainly not one the Bible speaks of very highly. Um, but my point is this. Because of her love of the country because of the nurturing heart she had in her. She said, it's gone on too long. This war is devastating our country and you men are treating it like it's a battle over money and power. And so they were drawn in a peace negotiation, but they wouldn't come to any peace. She finally invaded the place where they were holding the peace conference. And they were going to arrest her, and she said, not until I do this. And she started undressing. Because in Liberia, if a woman um, bears herself, it's an absolute humiliation to the man. Um, and so they, they said no, and they came to peace. That's an amazing story. It's happened in our lifetime, or in my lifetime. It uh, happened 2003 is when he stepped down, Charles Taylor from power. Um, let's read this, just so you're joining in. Let's read this together from the meaning of marriage. It quantifies some of the differences between men and women. There's much more than this. We can't go into it. Um, read with me. Using all the qualifiers in the world, in general, as a whole, and across the spectrum, men have a gift of independence, a sending gift. They look outward, they initiate. Under sin, these traits can become either an alpha male individualism, if this capacity is turned into an idol, or dependence, if the calling is utterly rejected and the opposite embraced in rebellion. The first sin is hyper-masculinity, while the second sin is rejection of masculinity. We see them both, don't we? They're just opposite ends. Um, now let's read about the woman. And what she's saying is we got to make all sorts of qualifications because just as you say that about the man, there are many men who don't fall in that category or women fall in this category. We'll read it now. Using all the qualifiers in the world, on the whole, and across the spectrum, women have a gift of interdependence, a receiving gift. They are inwardly perceptive. They nurture. Under sin, these traits can become either a clinging dependence if attachment is turned into an idol or individualism if the calling is utterly rejected and the opposite embraced in rebellion. The first sin is hyperfemininity, while the second sin is a rejection of femininity. We've seen both haven't we? And the feminist movement has pushed um, on the ladder of a rejection of femininity. And so where do we as daughters of Eve, as children of God, as daughters of God, where do we stand? How do we show in this community, in our homes, in this church, in this world? How do we show what does it mean to be a woman? Uh, in any of our roles that we have. Let's move on to Proverbs 3130. Um, this afternoon, would you read through Proverbs 31, 10 through 31? It's that very famous 
passage about what the woman does and that she sells uh, and she goes to the merchants and she laughs at the future uh, because her children are clothed and she sells purple uh, cloth and so it's that it's that image that we hate every time it's thrown up to us I mean really because we've come off feeling like nothing uh, like if we could just get one of those it might be good but uh, trying to get all of them well let me give you a little relief um, about this it has to do with the translation of another word uh, it's called a wife of noble character right that's what we usually see if we look towards that first verse in that set a wife of noble character it does not mean wife it, here's the Hebrew look at it Eshet a woman of valor that's what it speaks to a woman of valor Eshet from Isha woman and Shail connoting bravery capability triumph rampart or wealth what do you know a strong what warrior azer if you look at all those verses in proverbs 31 it may seem like you've been describing the woman who stays at home who gets this in order and gets that in order the words used in hebrew are military words does it surprise you? She's a strong warrior. She's looking out after what she's been entrusted with. At her role at that point in the uh, chapter is as a wife, as a mother. But she's operating as a businesswoman. She's operating as a parachurch woman. She's reaching out to the poor. She has a heart for the needy. Um, we see these things that Kathy Keller talked about. She's a nurturer. She's interdependent. Um, she wants to get things in order. She plans for the future. Um, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. God has given woman a lifetime focus, and it is not the man. Are you going to be married in heaven? You are not. Um, you are going to be married as the bride of Christ to Christ. He is your focus. And anything that gets in the way of that focus can be very dangerous, as Kathy Keller mentioned. If attachment to a man becomes an idol, it is a very dangerous thing. If a desire to get married, in my case... It did become an idol to me. And it often does to us who are single because we think all of our problems are going to be solved if we just have a man. Is that true, married ladies? <laughs> it's not. Sometimes they multiply. And that's why, that's why God says, you know, in times of hardship in the Bible, stay single. Stay single. Be single-minded. Be single-purposed. It's not... His plan, his divine plan, was that for a man and a wife, a woman. A blessed alliance, one of my friends who writes calls it. A blessed alliance. But whether we're married or not, we still form blessed alliances. All the time. But we've got to remember who it is who is our major connection and not let anything get in the way. That is the worst battle of all, isn't it? The battle in your heart uh, to have him as your Lord. The Eshat uh, Shail, this is something you may not have known, but uh, in Jewish tradition, this whole chapter uh, from verse 10 to the end of the chapter is repeated every Friday evening by the husband because it doesn't just mean the wife. It actually in um, Hebraic literature means wisdom, 
It's the way of wisdom. This is the way of wisdom. And who is given as an example of the way of wisdom? The woman. The woman of valor. Think about that. Even men looked at this and took note of what was being said there because it was being spoken of as a personification of wisdom. Wisdom that shows courage and bravery like an azer. It's incredible. Although it seems to be praised to an idealized wife, most commentators believe it's an allegory referring to wisdom itself. Remember that. The poem is an acrostic with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a poem. And so you've got alpha, bat, gimel, hey. It goes down the Hebrew alphabet and it spells out these things about the woman. It's a very stylized uh, poem. Traditionally, the entire passage is recited by Jewish husbands on Friday evenings after the Shabbat candles are lit, but before the meal is eaten to praise the wife and bless the children. Amazing, isn't it? And what we've done is um, let it damage our souls because we're not like her. Okay, we've got to end here. And I want to end in this way, that in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. He created us and he made him in the image of God He made them male and female. Christ is coming back. He bled and died on the cross not to create us, to save us, to save us from our sins. We are not just created, we are redeemed. We can't get to this woman of valor. We can't get to this azer. We can't be that unless we are redeemed. Because it is not about our strength, ladies. I've tried that. I'm sure you have too. And uh, I've been bulldozed over sometimes. You know, it was good for me. Uh, Because it reminded me it's not about me. Uh, It often becomes about us about what our husbands treat us like, about whether we have a boyfriend or not, about whether we have the right job or not, about whether we have any job or not, about how we're going to live. Um, And he says, trust me, you are my azer. Just take your little knife. (laughs) Take whatever you have. It may not be very strong at this point. It may not be a brandishing sword. You may not know how to use a sword. But you know how to use that little knife and pull it out. She looked sort of wimpy, didn't she? (laughs) Just pull your little wimpy knife out and stand there and know that he is with you. This is what it's about. He's coming back for us. And when he does, um, his first word is probably not going to be about um, how many boyfriends did you have and did you get married. That's probably not going to be what he asked me first. Um, Or how many children did you have? Um, Or how many jobs did you have and how well did you do and how much did you get paid? And did they appreciate you? He's going to look to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is his word for us. Come to him, women, because only in him will you find the satisfaction for your own heart. And through that satisfaction, you can give in marriage, you can give in your job, you can give in your neighborhood, you can give in your city, you can give to your children if you're a single mom. Um, But without Him, we have nothing. And we need to fold our tents and go home. So,
Richard is going to ask us what you learned. Uh, so, how do you say that word? Azer. Boy, that was good. Let me hear it again. Azer. Hold up those knives. Azer. <laughs> okay, let's pray and go to him this afternoon. Lay your life before him, whatever situation you've got. And ask him to make you, in your own soul, what he's really made you. Have the strength and the courage to take on what he's already fashioned in you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. As uh, your azers, we come to you. We admit that we have made so many mistakes and we have made so many idols out of everything. Out of families, out of our husbands, out of boyfriends, out of our right to a husband and to the life that we wanted. Father, we've made so many idols that we would spend the rest of the day repenting of them. Father, as we come to you, we ask that we can lay those things aside, come to you naked and unashamed as you made us, and be who you made us to be, that woman about whom Adam claimed, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Wow, is what he said. Father, let us not wow him, but let us wow you. Father, let us come to you and take on the life that you've given us. Let us see it clearly. Let us see the unseen. And let us go into the roles that you've given us here. And let us approach them, Lord, with, with integrity and with courage and with strength and valor and let us look to the future in triumph because you're coming back for us father we long for your coming for it's in christ's name we pray amen